As we uh, come together in our Sunday school hour, uh, we're going to take up a new topic of uh, a new topic of study in uh, the terms of eschatology. But before we get there, uh, let me begin our time together in prayer. Let's uh, look together uh, to our Lord. Lord, I thank you for our time to be able to be gathered together. We are gathered together because of what Christ has done. And we rejoice that even as he has brought us into a relationship with himself, he has brought us into a relationship with each other. And thus we can be gathered together. We pray that you will bless uh, those who are absent from us. I think in particular of uh, Brent and Lynn, and as Brent ministers uh, in a church without a pastor, might you uh, bless and help and uh, strengthen in the weeks ahead. Um, bless even today to your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would work through our time um, together here and now. Might you get the glory as we strive to think about your word in ways that reflect what you have taught in it. Uh, Might our thoughts be your thoughts, and might our understanding grow closer and closer to your understanding. We thank you for what you'll do in Christ's blessed name. Amen. So as we begin today, I'll have the... Uh, handouts distributed and we're going to the subject of millennialism and as we look to the subject of millennialism my goal today is to uh, introduce the subject Uh, so I did uh, put in your handout a bit of an overview of where we're going to be going in the next coming months. And I'm, I'm planning not a cursory or a survey study of each of these individual topics, but rather uh, something approaching more comprehensive study. And so none of these particular subjects will be a short study, and thus we'll interrupt with other other studies between Um, particular aspects of uh, the study of eschatology. But uh, I'll just make mention of where we've been before we take up uh, what we did last week and look forward to to today. Uh, So we've been uh, studying different aspects of introductory material as it pertains to eschatology. Uh, You might remember we studied how that we have hope because of eschatology. Last week, God's sovereignty, uh, even as we think of its relationship to eschatology. uh, We studied and looked at how that uh, in eschatology, you you can look at it both from a personal perspective or from a corporate perspective. And some of that's uh, laid out and explained more in the uh, plan for the weeks and months ahead. Uh, We looked at um, questions that you had that we'll get to as we come to the various topics. So some of them you might be waiting a little while, but we'll get there. Uh, 
Um, so those are some of the things we've already covered in uh, introductory material. The, the next section I want to go to is corporate eschatology. And the, the, the question that corporate eschatology answers is the question, what major events are coming in the end times? Uh, that's the question that corporate eschatology, all of us together, or all of humankind together, um, how, how do we... Uh, come upon different events as we look to the end times. And I'm going to start with studying the millennium, as you already know from what I've said uh, even thus far this morning. And the reason that I'm starting here is because your understanding of the millennium sets the trajectory for all the rest of how you understand uh, what the second coming is, what the rapture is, if there's a tribulation that's distinct and uh, uh, known in terms of seven years, uh, if the judgments are all at one time or if there are different judgments, um, all of these things uh, are, are subsumed under how you understand your, your thinking about the, the millennium. And so that's why I'm going to start uh, here with millennialism and go uh, forward from there. We will then... Uh, look to how to understand the book of Revelation, since uh, not only is that interesting uh, as a book, the book of Revelation, but also it's highly contested how you could, how you should interpret it and how you should understand it. So I want to do a little bit of looking at the book of Revelation. We won't go through the whole book of Revelation. Uh, rather, I'll uh, try to help us to understand how to approach the book of Revelation. And we'll end with our study of corporate eschatology in looking at the eternal state uh, after uh, human history is done as God has uh, as God has revealed it to come to its completion, what will be, uh, what will be eternity. Um, and obviously, some of those things overlap with personal eschatology. And the question that personal eschatology answers is, anyone know? If corporate eschatology is about what events in God's calendar are upcoming, what human, uh, uh, the end of human um, history, what events are on that calendar, what does personal eschatology answer? What question does it answer? Yes, a great way to say it. The question that I would ask is, what happens to your soul? Each person as made by God in his image is a soul in a body. And the question of personal eschatology is, what happens to your soul? So you die, then what happens? So we'll look at death. We'll look at the intermediate state, the state after death. And before the resurrection, we'll look at resurrection and then we'll look at heaven and hell and the lake of fire. Um, uh, as, as you could tell, even by just the description there, uh, very similar to uh, thinking about the eternal state. But we'll draw out uh, particulars about heaven and hell to more of an extent as we look at personal eschatology. So that's the roadmap for who knows how long. Um, as I said already, we'll interrupt those particular investigations with uh, the study of other subjects uh, not related to eschatology at all. Um, but we're going to start in on the millennium. And uh, what I would like to do is I would like to think about the millennium uh, so that we have a bigger picture of 
how different Christians really differ in significant ways when they come to the scripture and think about how should we interpret the scripture? What are the end time events related to what the scripture teaches? So I'm wanting to give us um, uh, something of a handle on how we can distinguish ourselves uh, from the Puritans, how we can distinguish ourselves from uh, those of the Reformed camp, um, from others, and I'll give a few names, not a lot of names, uh, proponents of different systems of millennial thought. But the, the other thing that I want to do this morning, um, uh, given enough time, is think especially about Revelation 20. Because Revelation 20 is the passage where the idea of the millennium comes from. And the, the idea from the millennium comes from Revelation 20 because it's the only place in the Bible where you have these 1,000 years made explicit, made clear. So the kingdom of God being a thousand year uh, uh, duration of time, speaking differently than the eternal kingdom, right? God is e- eternally uh, ruling and reigning uh, over his kingdom um, in, in everything and for all time. But uh, speaking of the millennial kingdom, of the kingdom that was uh, specially promised, and as we understand and believe, We'll get into this very quickly, but as we understand and believe, the millennium in our thinking is a political and a physical reality on earth. Um, And so that uh, understanding of Revelation 20 is what I would like to also uh, look to. So why don't we uh, begin by... um, by reading Revelation 20 in the first verses of that chapter. The first verses are the the, uh, portion that are most important for thinking about about the uh, millennium. And I'm not going to pick it up back in chapter 19, but if you go back to chapter 18, for example, um, you have Babylon and the... Uh, we might think of uh, Babylon as indicative and uh, reminiscent and uh, implying and helping us to think of the, the kingdom of this world, uh, the worldly kingdom that's set up in opposition to God. And Babylon then leads into chapter 19 and verse 11, where the coming of Christ is um, laid out, and the, because of Christ's coming, then the doom. Um, I'm reading here from my um, from my New American Standard Bible, the Study Bible. Um, the heading in the end of chapter 19 is the doom of the beast and the false prophet. Um, so Christ coming, the end of chapter 19, and then the doom of the beast and the prophet, and this leads then into this uh, speaking about the millennium in chapter 20 uh, through verse 11. After verse 11, you go from chapter 18 in Babylon to chapter 20 and verse 12 and the new Jerusalem. Okay, So even if you look at a bigger perspective, even if you step back, and take, take a bigger perspective of what the book of Revelation is doing here, it appears that what's happening is you're changing from a focus on the kingdom of this world, Christ's coming, 
the millennium, and then the new Jerusalem. Uh, God's kingdom established um, using the kingdom in its eternal sense. Uh, God's kingdom established uh, through all of the eternal state. Uh, So it seems as though uh, when you come to uh, Revelation 20, the the interpretation of the millennium that I'm going to be encouraging us to uh, believe and hope in and uh, understand from the Bible, that interpretation, which is in our doctrinal statement, the premillennial interpretation fits very well into the overarching work of the uh, these chapters, even as we come to Revelation 20. After Christ's coming and the doom of the beast and the false prophet, then you have the beginning of chapter 20 and will uh, will not uh, will not. Uh, read all of the beginning of chapter 20 but why don't I uh, why don't I have someone if someone would is willing to read the first six verses of chapter 20 those are the verses that especially uh, Kevin especially point out the uh, teaching in relation to millennium Thank you. So as we uh, just read, um, the premillennial understanding of um, Revelation 20 uh, looks to seeing the thousand years of uh, Christ's reign while the devil and Satan is bound. Uh, see that as a literal reign um, of Christ uh, along with um, others on a literal a physical throne on earth. And uh, what I'd like to do as we think about uh, explaining premillennialism and its uh, other options is I'm, I'm going to look to, and this is very arbitrary, but I'm going to look to five characteristics of each, five characteristics of premillennialism, then five characteristics of the other two major options. Um, we're going to spend more time on premillennialism, and we're going to come back to it and think about uh, premillennialism um, more extensively than uh, the other options. And if you have your handout, it's really easy to fill in those different options. The first blank under number one, the blank is pre, premillennialism, premillennialism, um, and that might not be the best color for seeing. 
see if this works better. Yes. Premillennialism. And then we'll look at postmillennialism, not because it's uh, not only because it's uh, almost exactly opposite of premillennialism in some of its characteristics, but also because it's the most easily understood of all of the different views, uh, postmillennialism. Uh, probably the uh, most uh, uh, clear and simple of the millennial views, and also because uh, post-millennialism is in very uh, uh, not highly regarded right now. There aren't many people who are uh, promoting post-millennialism for reasons that we'll uh, come to in a moment. And then the third blank uh, before millennialism is A, so just the letter A, capital A. So that's our roadmap for the next few minutes as we think about different options of uh, millennial teaching. So premillennialism, five characteristics uh, of premillennialism that I'll uh, note and uh, bring out for us. And I'm I'm, uh, summarizing um, things from uh, Robert Duncan Culver's his chapter on the millennium. Um, I think he does a really nice job of presenting the options with a lot of detail. I'm not going to go into all the detail that he goes into. But here are uh, five characteristics of premillennial. First, there's a visible, personal, and glorious return of Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus Christ is visible, personal, and glorious. And some of the other, um, especially the amillennial view, uh, the return of Christ isn't um, visible, personal, and glorious as it is uh, understood literally here by a premillennialist. Second, there is prior to the uh, coming of Christ, that is preceded by uh, the conversion of Israel the great apostasy and tribulation and the revelation of the man of sin, otherwise known as Antichrist. So uh, Christ's coming is preceded by the conversion of Israel, the tribulation, and the coming of the Antichrist. Um, that's the second characteristic of premillennialism. Now, if you're, if you're going to nuance and make this complicated... Uh, and I won't go far in doing this, but it's interesting that you don't have to have a dispensational understanding of premillennialism in order to have a belief in premillennialism. The main idea of premillennialism is that uh, Jesus Christ uh, comes before the thousand-year uh, reign. He comes; his second coming happens before the thousand-year reign, and so that leads us to the third, uh, the third of the uh, notes that I would make in terms of characteristics of premillennialism. When Christ comes, the dead saints will be raised, and the living transformed, transfigured, and together they will be translated to meet the coming Lord. The Antichrist and his allies will be slain. Israel will repent, be stored and uh, saved and restored to the Holy Land. So the, the thing that I want to emphasize here is that when Christ comes, 
uh, he will the, you will have the raising of the dead and the living will be transfigured. Uh, so this uh, um, the premillennial understanding of the millennium uh, sees the resurrection of the saints, the resurrection of the saints who then accompany Jesus Christ uh, in setting up the millennium. Now, again, you don't need to have dispensational understanding of the millennium in order to uh, come to this. And the, the main um, option uh, when you're thinking about, uh, the main two options when you think about premillennialism are historic, historic premillennialism and what I will call dispensational premillennialism. Now, we believe in dispensational premillennialism. Uh, Historic premillennialism is so named because uh, many of the early church fathers, until the time of Augustine, many of the early church fathers, if not most, and some, I think, would try to argue all, I don't think that they can successfully do that, but... Uh, most of the early church fathers, so after the time period of the New Testament and before 300, 400 AD, um, most of the early church fathers until Augustine were premillennialist, but they were premillennialist and not dispensationalist. Okay? Um, how, how could that work with uh, Jesus Christ coming and the resurrection of the saints and then setting up his kingdom. Well, in their understanding, the rapture and the, the second coming are one and the same in historic premillennialism. One and the same. So there isn't a distinction between the rapture and the, uh, the, the resurrection. Um, the, the other way to easily understand historic premillennialism, um, and this is a simplification, but it's a helpful simplification for understanding, uh, historic premillennialist would have been post-tribulationalist. Post-tribulationalist. So the question in terms of tribulationalism, the question in terms of tribulationalism is when is the church taken out of the world? When is the church taken out of the world? And in a post-tribulational view of, we typically think of the seven years of the tribulation. Okay, Not everyone does, but uh, let's just talk about the seven years of the tribulation. In a post-tribulational view, the church is taken out of the world after the tribulation is done. Okay, So the church is taken out of the world, the resurrection of um, uh, prior saints, and then coming right away of Jesus to set up the kingdom. Okay? We, as dispensational premillennialists, uh, almost all, with almost no exception, almost all dispensational premillennialists will be pre-tribulational. Which means that there is going to be a separation, a distinction between the rapture and the the uh, resurrection, uh, the second coming of Christ. 
those two two things aren't going to happen at exactly the same time. The rapture is going to happen before the tribulation and the church will be taken out of this world. And then the second coming of Christ will happen after the tribulation. The, the rapture, Christ calls the church in, in the clouds to, to the air to uh, be with him um, and escape the tribulation. And then after the tribulation is done, Christ comes with the church um, and the uh, transformed saints of the uh, of, of the uh, tribulation time period uh, and resurrected saints of that time period to set up the millennial kingdom. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to go any further into this. Uh, what can be very complicated uh, distinction between historic uh, premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism, but the main point is. That as dispensationalists, we believe the rapture and the second coming are not the same. If you don't remember anything else this morning and you take away one important thing, this would be the important thing to take away. Because of how the Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ, we don't believe that the second coming of Christ is identical to, exactly the same as, the rapture. We, We believe they're two separate events. Okay, This is a very... Uh, significant because this is uh, one of the places where dispensational premillennialists disagree with everyone else. Everyone else says the rapture and the second coming are one and the same event. Okay, we'll, we'll get there uh, in in uh, in short order. But uh, so thirdly. In terms of the uh, characteristics of premillennialism, not only, firstly, is there a glorious, personal, visible return of Christ, not only, secondly, will that um, happen after there is the conversion of Israel and a great apostasy, a tribulation, and the coming of the Antichrist, the revealing of the Antichrist. But thirdly, the dead saints will be raised and the living transfigured, and together they will meet the coming Lord and the Antichrist will be done away with. Uh, Israel will repent and be restored to the land. Uh, fourth, in the pre-millennial understanding, the kingdom of God is is the kingdom of God as predicted by the prophets that will be dis- established in a transformed world. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God as predicted by the prophets as uh, it is established in a transformed world. So this means that when we think about the uh, when we think about the millennium, when we think about the kingdom of God being set up for a thousand year period, we're thinking about a literal understanding of the prophecies that are given in the Old Testament about the millennium, about the kingdom of God. So. When the Old Testament speaks of, uh, of um, uh, the people of Israel resuming uh, the, the um, sacrifices and re- re- uh, restoring the temple, we're seeing that as actually happening, literally, in the thousand-year period of the millennium. When the Old Testament and here it talks about uh, Jesus Christ coming back and setting up his throne and sitting on his throne and reigning. When he is ruling with uh, the saints in this thousand year period, we're thinking of Jesus Christ coming back bodily 
right? As he left, so he will return. Coming back bodily and sitting on an actual throne in Jerusalem, ruling over the world. The, the nations flocking to, uh, to Israel and Jerusalem. That, those prophecies were understanding them all in a literal way. Okay? Or am I, am I, uh, communicating well? Or are you, are you understanding and tracking? Okay? Uh, the, the major distinction of, of, dispensational premillennialism is that we ought to understand the, the thousand years as a literal thousand years, actually a thousand years, and that it's uh, the prophecies that are pointing towards that uh, kingdom of God being set up uh, for uh, on earth for the thousand years ruled by Christ uh, uh, and the nations flocking to, uh, to Israel, that those are things that are literally going to happen. Uh, the, the nation of Israel is actually going to be uh, restored to great preeminence in the world. And not, not what it is right now, uh, where arguably there are more Jews living outside of Israel than inside of Israel. Okay? And, and how many of you watch the news and the first thing on the news is Israel? Right. That that that. Now, maybe in, in in the millennium, probably in the millennium, the first thing on the news will be what's happening in Israel today. Right. But that's not what our news is about. Our news is about America, the Middle East. What's China doing? Uh, what's Russia doing? Right. <laughs> All kinds of things not related to Israel. So, um. This fourth characteristic uh, is probably the most important, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be uh, uh, taken by itself and and uh, stripped away from the others. Um, fifthly, in the dispensational premillennial uh, understanding, but even in the non-dispensational premillennial understanding, the millennium is followed by the rest of the dead being raised up the last judgment and the establishment of the new heaven and the new earth. So the, um, dis, the premillennial um, dispensational understanding of, the, uh, of how the millennium works is after the millennium, then there is going to be um, the resurrection of all the rest of the, the dead who weren't raised uh, to enter into the uh, enter into the millennium with uh, G- our Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, they will be raised to a final judgment. To a final judgment, and that's what we see as we think about, uh, for example, uh, Revelation twenty um, uh, and verse five. We read about the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Uh, verse five of Revelation twenty. Or um, the judgment as it's spoken of in Revelation 20 and verse 11 and following. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. Books were opened, etc., etc. Uh, the resurrection, verse 13, the sea gave up its dead, which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead, which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. 
the final judgment and then the aftermath of the final judgment. Uh, the next verse, verse 14 of chapter 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Uh, so in the premillennial understanding, the, uh, the judgment of the unbelievers happens after the millennium, after the millennium, and the, uh, the, uh, what else do I want to say there? Um, they, they, uh, the, the dead aren't all resurrected at the same time, right? The saints have a resurrection uh, that is uh, prior to the, uh, uh, the coming and establishment of, uh, of the millennium. Um, depending what kind of, of, of premillennialism you believe in, uh, that's seven years before or right before. Um, but it's before. Um, whereas the unbelievers are resurrected and judged after the millennium, after the thousand years. Uh, for time's sake, I am going to fly to the next one. Uh, so post-millennials. Postmillennialism is uh, probably best and most simply uh, put forward by A. A. Hodge, who is a well-known proponent of uh, postmillennialism. Uh, there aren't too many other proponents uh, today. Um, there are others who are older proponents. A.H. Uh, Strong is a name you might uh, know. Uh, he was a postmillennialist. Uh, Albert Barnes wrote a number of commentaries. He was a, a post-millennialist. Um, uh, Rush Dooney is uh, uh, known for other things, but he, uh, along with those other things, was a post-millennialist. And um, most interesting or insightful in, in my uh, thinking is the Puritans uh, were post-millennialists. So when you think of the Puritans and their eschatology, that's one place where we don't agree uh, with them. So five characteristics of the um, of postmillennialists, and these I'm going to go through a lot faster than I did for the uh, premillennialists. Uh, first, uh, in the postmillennial uh, view, in both the Old and New Testament, there is clear revelation that the gospel exercises a more powerful and uh, continually growing influence over uh, humankind so that uh, more and more of humankind is transformed um, as you approach the end of time. Uh, as is the exact language of A.A. A. Hodge, quote, this end is to be gradually attained through the spiritual presence of Christ in the ordinary dispensation of providence and ministrations of his church. So uh, through the saints and the proclamation of the gospel, the world is going to get better and better. That's, that's the first uh, main idea of uh, post-tribulationalism, which might give some clues as to why it's not as popular anymore, but we'll come there in a moment. Uh, Second uh, characteristic, the period of this general prevalence of the gospel, uh, and here I'm quoting from Hodge again, quote, will continue a thousand years and is hence designated the millennium. Now, A.A. Uh, a. Hodge is um, not s terribly standard in his understanding that the um, millennium 
would actually be a thousand years, a literal thousand years. Okay, there are there are some premillennialists who don't believe it's a literal thousand years. Uh, they're they're a lot harder to find though than um, uh, in in uh, postmillennialism and in amillennialism. I will see uh, you don't have the uh, need for having a thousand years be literal. A. A. Hodge is a little unusual in post-tribulationalism. Not post-tribulationalism. <laughs> if I say post-tribulationalism, I mean post-millennialism. Um, uh, a. A. Hodge is a little unusual in post-millennialism because he actually believes the thousand years is a literal uh, thousand years. Uh, many post-millennialists uh, believe that there's the period of of the church age. And somewhere towards the end of that period, not necessarily a thousand years, it could be the whole period or it could be a, a portion of the last period, but the, the prevalence of the gospel will go greater and greater so that the uh, world will be uh, greatly changed and influenced and uh, helped by uh, Christianity. Uh, third characteristic, the Jews are to be converted to Christianity either at the commencement or during the continuance of this period. So either at the beginning or uh, along the way of the millennial period, the Jews are converted. Um, fourth characteristic, at the end of the thousand years, and again, uh, note uh, Hodges thinking a literal thousand years, whereas other post-millennialists don't. And before the coming of Christ, there will be a comparatively short season of apostasy and violence. Um, uh, what what is uh, understood is that right now uh, uh, Satan is um, uh, bound, and as uh, as the uh, after the end of the the millennial time, the end of the church age, as we would have think of it, then for a short while he's going to be allowed to uh, to deceive and. Um, uh, cause deceptions even in greater number than we see uh, now um, and certainly greater number than the great and glorious age of the millennium that concludes the church era in in the post-millennialist understanding. Uh, Fifth um, characteristic of post-millennialism, Christ coming, the resurrection, and the judgment are all simultaneous are all at the same time. Okay? They happen uh, after the millennium. After the millennium happens. That's when Christ's coming and the judgment uh, and uh, all of the end time things that we usually think of as uh, separated out between the tribulation, some before, some after, then the millennium, some things before, some after. Um, all of those things, uh, the resurrection, Christ's coming, and judgment, all compacted, all seen uh, to be simultaneous. Okay. Um, this understanding of uh, the world getting better and better by the influence of Christianity fell on very difficult times in the era of the world wars. So the world wars, uh, you might remember that after uh, World War I, as we call it, uh, the, uh, in, the, in the immediate aftermath, before World War II, the World War I was known as the war to end all wars. Now, did that happen? Not at all. Not at all. And so 
um, uh, the, the thinking that the world is getting better and better and that Christianity is having more and more of a sway in the uh, thinking of people in the world, that thinking has fell in really, really difficult times. Um, amillennialism. And why don't I do this? Why don't, instead of trying to rush through amillennialism um, in less time than we should spend on it, what I'll do is I'll save the five introductory ideas about amillennialism until uh, next time. And then uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to try to, uh, so here's a preview for next week. Uh, we're going to do some uh, Bible study together of Revelation 20, verses 1 through 11, especially. Verses 1 through uh, 10, 11. We're going to do some Bible study uh, in that passage in particular and try to uh, help you understand. Um, uh, I'll try to help you understand how uh, post-millennialists understand Revelation 20, how amillennialists understand Revelation 20, and what I believe is the best understanding of Revelation 20 how premillennialists understand uh, Revelation 20. Um, any questions so far on uh, if they're short? Uh, but if not, I'll, I'll keep them for next time. But any questions so far on the introduction to premillennialism or postmillennialism? Otherwise, let us conclude in prayer. Let's look to the Lord. Our Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word and that as we trust in your word, we have the great hope of Christ coming again. Uh, we look forward to the rapture and being um, swept up to the clouds to be with our Savior for all of eternity. We pray that that day might come soon and if you see fit, that, that day would even be today. Uh, keep us hoping in the plans that you have for us, not just for now, not just for this life, but for all eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.